the great thing mm. about 10% entrepreneurship is, is it's basically like trying something, experimenting with something, seeing if you even like it. Hi, I am Francisco Guma. Welcome to Decade Gold Podcast, where we talk about our life, our success, self-improvement, and how we can get ourselves ready for the next decade. Today I have with me Patrick McGinnis. Patrick is a venture capitalist, speaker, writer, and author of two international bestsellers. A 10% entrepreneur, which the concept is all about living your startup game without quitting your day job. And formal, the fear of missing out. But I'm going to open the floor so he can introduce himself properly and tell you guys about the great work he's been doing for the past decade. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing? Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks, Francis. So I'm Patrick McGinnis. I'm a venture capitalist and author and speaker and podcaster. I live in New York City. I started my career on Wall Street, but then when my career kind of blew up during the great financial crisis, I started doing all kinds of side projects that turned into a new career, working on a bunch of different things that I wrote a book about called The 10% Entrepreneur. And then I wrote another book called Fear of Missing Out, all about a word that I invented a long time ago in 2004, FOMO, which you may have heard of. And now I also have a podcast called FOMO Sapiens. So at the end of the day, I'm an investor in startups all over the world, in the United States and Latin America. I'm a podcaster and I'm an author. That sounds really cool. I want us to dive more more about the, one of your books, the ten the ten percent entrepreneur. So there was a question that was like I was asking myself all the time, like why ten percent entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. So basically, the idea is that all of us, you know, we have day jobs, right? And and you know, a lot of times we think, okay, I've got my day job, I don't need to work when I'm not at work. You know, I want to just be on, you know hanging out and doing fun things and stuff like that. But what I learned in 2008 when my company AIG basically blew up is that you can't just rely on one job. You never know what's going to happen in your day job. And and as a result, you have to be careful about making sure that no matter what happens at your day job, you still you know have a, a career and that your day job isn't everything. And so I started spending 10% of my time, money, and energy working on things outside of my day job investing in things, starting things, becoming an advisor to companies. And basically doing so, I built up a whole portfolio of ownerships and economic activities that are mine outside of my day job. And so the idea is you start with 10% because everybody can you know, make 10% of their time available. And if you can't do money, um, you can save some money to, to maybe invest in it. But you know, you start with 10% and maybe then you go north of that. Nowadays, I'm a hundred percent entrepreneur, but you know, a lot of people aren't just going to quit their job to be an entrepreneur. And so it makes a lot more sense for them to start part-time on the side while keeping their day job. Oh, cause like, I feel like, um, the, the concept of 10% entrepreneurship, like it's been going on for like for the past um, decades now or so. Cause like a lot of people have been doing something like this, but like they don't see themselves like a 10% entrepreneur. And it's a very like a useful concept when you get to know it and understand what you're doing. Cause like, um, you can easily be working at, let's say, for example, you can be working at McDonald's or at the case may be and then still be doing, maybe have a passion for photography. And at the time you're not making money for me or you're not getting any income for it. But like you have some people now, they feel like they cannot balance the two. Like, how is that working for you? Like balancing in your time, like making time for your, your project and then also your, your normal day job. 
Totally. That, that's the, that, the, the hardest thing is finding that balance in the beginning because once you get going, you figure out it's not very hard to do. But what you have to do when you get started is sit down. And actually in the book, The 10% Entrepreneur, I have all these exercises that help you to do what I'm about to tell you to do. But you okay. sit down and you think through, okay, how much time can I possibly make free to work on a side project? So, you know, I literally sat down and like, tracked my time. And what I realized was, you know, I don't need to watch TV on Saturday for seven hours, you know, whatever those, maybe I don't, there are things that I can cut out of my life. And by the way, during the pandemic, we've all been sitting around our houses. I mean, we've all had plenty of time that we could have, maybe we're on Instagram all day, but like, if you, you can free up time by thinking like, you know, what am I doing that isn't like really actually adding value to my life? And so you'll have to make some sacrifices, but saying to yourself, listen, I'm going to cut out social media. I'm going to like, spend less time online. And I'm also going to spend less time on TV. The average person is online eight to 10 hours a day um, outside of work. So we can do those things and f f find free time to work on projects. The other thing is to find a project that isn't too time consuming. So even if you want to start something, you don't have to go working on it 40 hours a week. You can work on it, you know, like a hobby, but you know, with the idea that you could over time spend more time or even work with friends to do it together so that you have more help. So there's a million ways to do it. It's really the, the biggest challenge is just changing your mindset so that this is something that you think that you should do and that you believe you can do. So based on that, I feel like the pandemic since 2020 had the opportunity to sit back and track their progress or their steps because like a lot of people just roaming around just like your all their life was just cycling around walking and live to work but not walking to live something like that like so the pandemic really brought um light to a lot of people for them to see like to actually track their their life like what am i doing in my life am i just um around the cycle am i just walking back and forth and what can i do like what I, why do what do i love do like what is my passion and what can I spend most of my time in? So like, um, how, like, how did the pandemic benefit, like, um, change your mindset and your perspective about your work life and the way you used to do things and the way you see the world now and things like that? Yeah. Well, that you're absolutely right. Um, Francis, and a lot of people call this like the great resignation that people realize like, Oh, I don't like my work or I'm unhappy. But the thing is, you know, a lot of people, they realize, okay, I'm not happy, but then they don't know what to do next. And so what, what I, what I realized, and I think this is really important is like the approach that I'm recommending to you, which is to try something part-time. What that really allows you to do is figure out what you do like, like what would be really sad is if you hate your job. So you quit your job and then you, you maybe start a company and you realize halfway, you know, three months into it, God, I really hate this. Right. What the great thing about 10% entrepreneurship is, is it's basically like trying something, experimenting with something, seeing if you even like it before you decide that you want to go do that full time. And so, you know, a lot of people right now during the pandemic has said, oh, you know, I want to change my life. And what I'm telling people is great, but don't just do something full time, go experiment and try something new. And for me during the pandemic, you know, I've been doing this for a while, so I didn't change anything. But I think what I realized was that this approach to things really worked because when the pandemic hit, a lot of people lost their jobs. And by the way, a lot of the things I were doing were affected by the pandemic. I do a lot of speaking, right? So I'm not going to get on a plane, obviously, and speak to a big room of people. 
But because I'd done so many 10%, I have over 30 at this point, I was so well diversified that some of the things that I had done and that I had as part of my 10% were doing really well during COVID. And so I realized that by building up all these different streams of income, I actually was really well prepared for COVID. And so I didn't have to worry about money. So um, what is your decade goal? Ooh, I like that question. Uh, <laughs> my decade goal is, let's see, I'm just going to be 2032. 20, oh my goodness. What I want to do is basically continue what I'm doing, but do bigger, more impactful projects, and then build more media properties. So right now I have a, a, a podcast. I also would like to do a television show as well. So I really like what I'm doing, but the idea is to just like continue what I'm doing, but do more of it and do bigger projects. So um, like how prepared are you, how prepared are you mentally and physically if like, something happened along the way like if you have like a something like the coronavirus or or something just refresh or just allow the world to take a step back and look at our steps like what where are we going like how prepared are you for something like that yeah it's not like a it's not like a plan b but it's like a plan b what's your backup plan yeah so my backup plan Listen, I've been building my backup plan for the last decade, which is to have this very diversified set of things that I do. So like I do investing, I do consulting, I do speaking, I do podcasts, you know, I write books. And so when you have so many different things that you do, if one of those things doesn't work, you can focus on the things that do work. And so I think that's like a really powerful thing that I, that I have built for myself in terms of like, the challenges that come along. I mean, I think like the pandemic's a great example. I did not expect the pandemic. No, nobody did. But what I realized was like, I have some certain things that I do in my life, daily practices or mindsets and stuff that like really helped me. So for example, I do meditation every day. Um, you know, I write things like that, that helped me to like process what was going on, what was working, what wasn't. And then to be able to respond to that in a way that was productive and I think that's the key, right? Being resilient um, is the only way to survive when things don't go your way. And so I think if you have healthy habits and then you also have a, you know, a lot of different things that you do and a lot of different sort of revenue streams, then you're well positioned as well as you can be anyway for those kinds of events. Yeah. So like when it comes to young people, like the next generation, um, that are bringing up brilliant ideas, starting up companies. So what is the change like between the, like, the last two years, like since the pandemic and to 2022 now, do you see like any change from the way how young people are doing like their business or the, the way of life, the walk of life? Is there any change that you, that you see? Definitely. I think there's a couple things. Number one is technology. I'll give you an example. Great example from West Africa. So I was in the Gambia a um, number of years ago, uh, I guess like 2018. So like three, four years ago. And I met this guy there um, who was, he had organized one of the speaking events I did with the embassy and, and the U.S. embassy in the Gambia because I was there talking about entrepreneurship. And anyway, we stayed in touch over like Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. And one day he sent me a note and said, hey, I'm interested in doing some part-time work. Do you need any help? And I said, yeah, I actually do need help with my podcast. I need somebody to help me think through who we should have for guests and research and 
you know, booking and all that sort of stuff. Would you be interested? And he said, sure. And so I ended up working with him. And now he's actually gone full time doing this kind of work. He works for himself now. And I think what it says to you is this, that, you know, you can be anywhere in the world. And if you're smart and ambitious and have an internet connection, you can work for anyone anywhere in the world and you can do really well. And so I think that that's what young people are doing. They're embracing flexibility and technology to create careers that they could not have had five or 10 years ago. And, you know, it's great because talent is everywhere. And I would much, I, I'm very happy to work with somebody in another part of the world who gives me great perspective. And oftentimes, you know, it's cheaper than hiring in the US. Um, but you can still pay that person a really good wage. And, you know, you just create a global team and it's just more fun and more effective. Yeah, I, I think I remember I met you um, 20, 2019. Yeah, that was 2019 mm -hmm. in Sierra Leone for the the Freetown Peach Night, I guess. Yeah. Oh, the one that Mr. Francis, Mr. Francis Steven yes. invited you. Yeah. And that was like a really great platform and where like I got to like share my ideas because like I was, I was in the stage where I'm okay. I'm just pitching out my ideas, getting feedback and go back behind the scene and working, working on it. So like how, how does that experience really change you? Like traveling around the world, meeting really like brilliant young talented people from different part of the world and getting to know people like what is your experience like what is something new so what i've started to realize is first of all like that there are huge companies being created everywhere now so you know i was just reading this morning about a company in romania that has raised like hundreds of millions of dollars a tech company you know, Romania is a place where, I mean, it's, it's a real country, obviously it's a large country and it has, you know, a large economy, but nobody would have thought 10 years ago that you'd have, you know, investors from all over the world, like just sending tons of money into a place like Romania and creating a really valuable, valuable company. And that's not just Romania, it's happening in every continent. And so I think, you know, what I see is like young people and entrepreneurs, they're finally able to find success stories in their markets. They don't have to look to Silicon Valley, you know, and, and, and the entrepreneurs there, they can look down the street. And I think that's like a really incredible, um, incredible change. So how do you see the entrepreneurship pool in the next decade? Like young people, young, brilliant ideas, because like now we have like, um, a more wonderful tools with the internet connection, access to internet, but a lot of people are not making good use of it. And that's a large amount of young people. Like there's a lot of dilemma of social media going on right now. And you can see mental health and people are being feel like they need to get liked by, by, by what you're doing or by someone from another side of the world for them to feel more value and more accepted. So like, how do you feel like, um, the young, the next generation are getting more into creating and creating solutions into the, like to some of the problems that we are facing. How do you feel like young people are more, um, how do you see the world in the next decade? Yeah. Well, I think the fact of the matter is young people are growing up with these problems all around them. And so they are very like the best way to know what problem to solve is to face that problem yourself. And I think a lot of older people just aren't even connected. They just don't use technology or they're just like, you know, when you're, when you're, um, 
older, you know, you, it's like you've kind of figured out your life and it's pretty stable. Younger people are still figuring all these things out. And so they're much more exposed to the realities. And so, um, I would say what, what you're going to see and is at the same time, like think about the declining cost of technology and the fact that people all over the world are using cryptocurrencies and inventing NFTs and stuff like that. I just think that you're going to see like younger people adopting technology and also having tech with tech skills that allow them to start businesses that are relevant and that solve real problems and that they can, you know, make pretty. So when it comes to like investing into young startups and young businesses like a venture capitalist, what are you, what are the key things you're looking for in a business? Are you investing in the person project or are you personally investing in the, the mind of the young person? It's really both. I mean, I think you want people who have the skills to be able to do their business. So like if somebody doesn't know anything about technology, you know, I don't want them to build a tech platform, right? That they need other people on their team. But beyond that, you know, it's really about having an idea that actually solves a real problem um, for somebody that in a way that that person wants to use the service over and over again. And so it sounds really simple, but it's amazing how many times I'll see a company where the founder doesn't know what they're, doesn't really have the skills to do what they want to do, or that the idea is so, it doesn't really solve a fundamental problem. It's so narrow that it's hard to see that business really taking off. You mentioned that um, right now, like you're currently doing like a full-time when it comes to your job that used to be um, your project or your company that you're working on, which used to be a 10%. Like how, how do you feel it's time for you to transit to, to the, like to make it a full-time? Like you, do you consider that you have a lot of money or do you feel like, Oh, I need to like, um, pay more attention to what I'm doing so you can accelerate and become like a bigger company or something. Like, what are the key factors that you're looking at when, when it's time for you to transit to make it like a full time? Yeah. So if you're working on a 10%, I think the way that you, you know that you, you want to spend more time on it or even go full time is first of all, you know, if, if it's doing well, well enough that you could actually live off of it. Because if you're going to quit your job, you got to be able to pay the bills, right? Second of right. all is like, are you, um, do you like it? Can you see yourself spending all your time on this? Because you don't want to quit your job and then just like dread going to work every day. And that happens to people, by the way, they quit their job and then they're like, Oh, I don't actually like doing this. And so, you know, the, that combo is really important. What you don't want to do is quit your job to do something that either you don't like or that you can't afford to do. Because then you're going to, you're not going to enjoy it. You're going to feel stress all the time. And you're going to, you know, you're, you sort of like end up creating a new problem in your life, not solving an old one. Because like uh, one of the issues young people always um, have, like when they're working and maybe it, when they're doing a job they don't like doing, they feel like, oh, I need to start up a business. I need to start up a business. I need to come out from the nine to five cycle and, go start doing my project. And then when you fully transit before taking all these steps into precautions, then you end up working 24 hours a day instead of nine to five. And then you hate it more than the way you hate your, your nine to five job. And I feel like that that's like an issue and people don't know when it's time for them to transit to make it a full time. And then mostly a lot of people tend to look for like a validation from from others or, oh, okay, my, oh, oh, Patrick is doing a business. Let me go start a business. 
something like that. Oh, my friend is doing this. My friend just quit his job. So I can quit my job too and it's going to work out for me. So I feel like that's like an issue. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. I think that's one way to look at it for sure. So like, do you have any advice for the next generation when it comes to um, how can they like mentally and physically get themselves in a position like to be doing their passion or something they love doing at the same time having a source of income that is funding what they're doing and for them to know like what is the when when it's time for them to transit to make it like a full-time yeah i mean you know i think number one is you need to um think deeply about what you enjoy doing and what you're good at because that combination is going to make you successful second you need to understand your finances and understand like what you can afford to invest in terms of time and money and then what you actually need to live on where you to go to full time and then i think it's really important to also think about like who can you partner with because being an entrepreneur is really hard and doing it alone is really hard so are there ways are there people you know that might want to work with you or can you find people you know uh, in your network who might want to help you out because having other people who have different skills than yours um when you have challenges and problems and things you need to deal with it's so much easier when you have a business partner. And so doing it all alone is really hard. It's very lonely. So thinking about how to find other people can, it can make a big difference. So like, um, when you are building a team for like, for one of your companies or one of, uh, yeah, for one of your company, what are the key factors where you're looking out for? Are you looking for people that have the passion for the roles you're looking for? Are you just looking for people that are good at what you're doing? It's both. I mean, I think, listen, you need competency first and foremost. But you also need somebody who's going to be committed and not just quit, right? Everybody quits everything nowadays. It's like really hard to keep talented people. And so, uh, and the other thing is like when you're doing a startup, oftentimes in the early days in particular, there's no like specific roles. Kind of everybody has to do everything, right? You know, it's like you're working, you're doing marketing, you're also, you know, doing sales, you're, you, you're, making the coffee, you're, you know, you're like setting up everybody's email, you're doing payroll. And so it's hard to find somebody who can do, be an expert at all things, but if they're smart and versatile and have a good attitude and a hard worker, like they will learn and figure it out. So I think all of those things are important. And then of course, personality is important. Finding somebody who is respectful, who is open, who is honest, you know, figuring those things out is really important because the worst thing you can do is hire somebody who looks great on paper, but then they're just difficult to work with because they create a toxic environment and it's hard to get other people to join the team. So like when it comes to um, starting up a company or like starting up a business, what are some of the skills or what are some of the skills a founder or a CEO should have before like they start or they make a transition from their 10% to 100% of what they're doing? So number one is you really want to understand the business. Uh, like, you know, if you're building a business that you can't, you don't, you don't think you're one of the most qualified people in the world to be working on this project, you know, then ask yeah. yourself, what else should I be doing? Because you really want to be, um, you want to be an expert on the, on the, on the industry. Like there are examples of people who know nothing about an industry and succeed. Sure. It happens, but it's, but it's a lot harder. And so, you know, I think it's always good to understand the industry well. 
Um, and maybe you don't know everything, but you, you can put in time to learn about it. I knew a guy once who wanted to start a restaurant. So he went and got a job in a restaurant to learn what it was like, right? So it's not that you have to know it, you know, for your whole life, but you have to have built up some skills. I think that's number one. Number two is I think it's really important to test an idea. You know, the lean startup is one of my favorite books and it's about basically the idea of trying things very cheaply before you invest all your money in something. And so let's say that you wanted to start, you know, a uh, bakery. You're, you know, you don't just set up the bakery instead, like try baking some cakes and some other stuff that you think might be interesting and see if you can sell them um, at the local bakery or at some store or see if you can set them up at a farmer's market and just like test to see if people like the thing that you want to make if they, you know, and I've seen this also with like friends who had startups where they wanted to do, you know, a startup and instead of like building a website, they just basically did it off of pen and paper, offered a service to people to see, do people like the service? What works? What doesn't? So you just want to learn as much as you can before you spend time and money building a product. Based on that, I would say like, um, if you can, if you cannot do it for free, then you cannot make money out of it. Like, where the free comes in, like, um, I would say it's like you're doing it like a passion. Mm. Just like if you can do something, like, okay, hey, let's say, for example, and I have my, one of my projects I've been working on for the past um, four years now. I'm still on the baby stage, but like, every, it's like a learning process for me because like I'm still exploring some areas that I think I know, mm. but I didn't know anything about it. So it's like I'm still learning about it. So since 2018, came to your do like a capstone project about 3D printing and I kept on working on it. And ever since then, I've just been pitching, pitching my ideas and then getting feedback from George. And then when I came to the United States, I kept, I kept doing the same thing. And I won a competition from NJIT mm. and they had like a six month incubator program we are in. Like I thought I, I know a lot about my, my, my project or my company. And then when I went for the six month program last year, I get to like um, have a sneak peek about some other areas that I need to focus on, like some skills that I need to have before I can fully work on my demo, and then before I can fully like go to an investor and say, "Hey, this is what this is my product. Hey, I'm ready. Um, how can I pitch my ideas in less than thirty seconds or something like that?" And now I feel like I'm in a position. I'm still learning, but I like. I bag a lot of knowledge now that I can talk and I know what I'm doing and I know what my next step is. Cause like, I feel like to know the next step you're supposed to take is always like the critical part and to seek advice because some people and thought that they know what they're doing, which of course actually they don't know what they're doing. And that's the fun part of it. Um, my other question is, um, uh, the concept of FOMO, like how is that, like how did that come about? Like what is the whole concept about FOMO? So, um, you know, that came about when I was in business school at Harvard and um, <laughs> I was just in this environment where there were so many opportunities and so many things to do, whether it was professional or personal or fun. And I felt like I wanted to do everything because it was so excited to be there, but I ended up spending so much time trying to do everything that I was completely exhausted and stressed out all the time. And so I realized that actually I had this problem that were like too many things going on and I wasn't enjoying any of it and it wasn't a good thing anymore. And I had this fear of missing out. So I started calling that FOMO, fear of missing out. 
And um, I wrote an article in the school newspaper back in 2004 all about it. And that was the beginning. It's now in the dictionary. It went viral. And so I started this thing. And it's just kind of insane how it became a thing. So how can someone like um, implement that in their lives? Like what are some of the what are some of those the strategies or what are some of the methods you mentioned in the book for someone that I've not already read your book mm. or someone that is listening to the podcast for the first time? Um, what are some of the key factors that is based on all the concept of form of fear of missing out? Yeah. So one of the things is, I mean, there's a bunch of different things, of course, but FOMO is the combination of uh, a desire to do something that you think is better than what you're doing right now, combined with a fear of being excluded uh, from a positive beneficial experience. And so, you know, I think we have to, when we have FOMO, you think something's going to be really great and therefore you want to do it, but you don't really know if that thing is as good as it looks. So one of the things is just to like recognize that thing, a lot of things, especially on social media are portrayed in a way that looks amazing on the surface, but may not be real in real life. Another Mm -hmm. thing is that, you know, you want to, um, you want to think about why you want to do something. Do you really want to do it? Or is it about being part of the group or not being excluded? And another thing is, you know, a lot of the reasons why we feel FOMO is because of social media that basically, you know, forces you to, um, uh, you know, like we get so many things on Instagram and other social media that gives us like prompts us to feel FOMO. And so you've got to be smart about, filtering those things out. So spending less time online when you don't feel good, when you're on LinkedIn or, or Instagram or Twitter, and it doesn't make you feel good, get off of it. You know, taking social media off your phone, turning off all your notifications, like these little digital health things can really help to eliminate FOMO. The whole concept of FOMO, like when I first heard about it, I was like, I was trying to like um, plug it into my life, like how things things were going. Let's say, for example, a lot of people want to feel like they belong somewhere, which, of course, they're not supposed to be somewhere, but like they feel like, oh, because of my friend is there, I'm supposed to be there, or because everybody's going to this concert, so I'm supposed to go to this concert, or everybody's going, everybody's celebrating Christmas with their family, so now I don't have a family, so I'm going to feel bored. The fear of missing out, that's like always like an issue. It was really um, nice having you today, Mr. Patrick McGinnis. Thank you so much. Take care. I am Francis Coma, and you've been listening to Decade Gold, the podcast. You can follow Decade Gold on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Join me every week here for another exclusive conversation. Thank you for listening. 